Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Now, from Happy Valley, here's your host, Brian Tripp. Hello, Brian Tripp. Great to be with you once again here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Coming up on this episode, I'm joined by former Penn State basketball standout, Herm Sledzik, a member of the Nittany Lion basketball team back in the 1950s. Graduated in 1953, was on the Sweet 16 team in 1952, and he was a teammate of Jesse Arnell, who recently passed away. We're going to reflect on Herm's career, actually the first scholarship athlete at Penn State, and also reflect on the life and career of Jesse Arnell, one of his teammates and a standout, both in football and for a long time, the leading scorer for the men's basketball program. I think you'll like this. This is a trip back in time as we're joined now by Herm Sledzik, our guest this week on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Herm, it's great to talk to you. How have you been? Been great. Doing good. At my age, I'm still hanging in there. Well, it's great to hear, and uh, I always like to start this by having our guests tell their story. I could read your biography, what you've accomplished, not only during your time at Penn State and your background and what you accomplished after your time at Penn State, but I'd like to hear it from our guests. So I want to start with this. How did a kid from the Indiana, Pennsylvania area end up at Penn State? Well, way back in the late 40s, we had a bunch of Penn State graduates that were very prominent in Indiana. They ran the R&P Coal Company, insurance company. As a matter of fact, Pop Hewitt, one of the key guys to me going, uh, was a football player at Penn State. And I think in the early uh, 1900s, he scored a touchdown against Army. And then through those guys, they got in touch with some Penn Staters and Elmer Gross. And Elmer spoke at our high school banquet. Mm-hmm. And about a month later, he came to Indiana with Higgins, who was the, was the athletic director at the time, and a couple other Penn Staters, and all of the Indiana County graduates. And there were two of us that were pretty good basketball players. A kid by the name of Stretch Watson, who was 6'6", played for Indiana High School. And I was 6'4", played for Elders Ridge High School. And they offered us both full scholarships to Penn State, the first ones ever since, I guess, the, the late 20s. Herm, I want to stop you right there, and I'm not going out on a limb to say this is before there are recruiting websites. So how, as a kid in the late 1940s, early 1950s, do you figure out where you want to go to school? You can't go to a virtual tour. How did you pick, as a kid from Indiana, Pennsylvania, that Penn State was the right fit for you? Well, you know, I had never been to Penn State. I played at... Uh, Du Bois and the Penn State alumni took me up to a football game. That's the first time I ever saw the Penn State campus. Prior to signing the contract, I'd never been on campus at Penn State. But Western Pennsylvania was a hotbed for athletics. Mm-hmm. I had there was a uh, a big black van came and picked me up on two different weekends. One was to go to VMI, one was to go to VPI. They picked up people from Pittsburgh, I don't even remember who they were, and we were tried out in two sports, football and basketball. And then 
they would offer you a scholarship or they wouldn't in one of the sports or the other. And I was actually offered a basketball scholarship at both VMI and VPI. And then Skip Hughes, the basketball coach at St. Francis, wanted me to go to St. Francis. One of my very good friends that played for Indiana High School was a captain at St. Francis, Walter Stapleton. And I went up and visited their campus, but when Penn State made the offer, I went to Penn State. Skip Hughes sent me a letter that I still have, and Lou quoted it in the article that he wrote about me being the first scholarship. Mm-hmm. Skip says, Herm, you don't want to go down stop. They're still fighting the Civil War. He said, you're a rebel to them. <laughs> and I still have the letter. Skip was a dentist like uh, the pit coach, Doc Carlson mm-hmm. was, and he also coached basketball. So what's next? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, at this point, as a freshman, you cannot enroll right at Penn State. Stretch Watson, they wanted us both to go to IUP. I didn't want to go here because I didn't want to be stay at home and commute from 12 miles away to Indiana. So I went to Dubois Center. We couldn't go to Penn State at the time. Stretch Watson went to Indiana. Stretch, I think, was a better player than I was. And if he had gone to Penn State, I think we would have been in an NCAA tournament three straight years. But Stretch flunked out. He was partying with his buddies and never did make it to Penn State. But I went to Dubois Center and played there. And actually, a guy by the name of Vic Straub, they owned the Straub Brewery, was the high scorer the year before, and I beat his record that year. We played in a rural rink, mm-hmm. practiced, and played at Dubois High School gym. And when the gym wasn't available, we played against the opponent at the uh, roller rink. And at one time, we even played against the Penn State Center at the Dubois Roller Rink. Why was this so common at that point that freshmen could not play right at Penn State? Why did you have to go to Dubois Center first? Well, I think at that time, uh, Penn State couldn't handle freshmen. The only freshman I think that there were 500 women they experimented with that they let come as freshmen. But no male, no males could go and enroll Penn State at that time. The football players, most of them went to California. Mm-hmm. The basketball player, well, there weren't any basketball players. It was me and Stretch Watson were the only two basketball players at that time. But the football players went to went to California. And that's when Earl Bruce, I think, was the head coach down there. Penn State under uh, Joe Paterno. And then from there, I went to Penn State. The fraternity gave me, actually, my scholarship was uh, tuition and books, and the fraternity paid for my board and room, room and board. Do you remember, and I think this is just so our audience really has a grasp on it, how much that scholarship was worth? If I remember correctly, I think the tuition was like $220 a semester. Now, room and board at the fraternity, I don't know what they were paying at that time, the members, but uh, it couldn't have been too much. I don't don't know what the scholarship is compared to what it is today. And then from then, of course, we played at Penn State, went to the NCAAs in 1952, Raleigh, North Carolina, and flew out of the Martinsburg Airport with top coats on, landed in Raleigh, and it was... (laughs) 70-some degrees, and then uh, my senior year, I became captain, and we didn't go to the tournament, and Elmer said we missed it by one game, and it was a game at Pitt where they stole a ball from me at midcourt, and 
scored the winning basket, and Elmer said it was my fault. We didn't go to the tournament that year, jokingly, of course. And then the next year, they went. When I was in the Army, they were the final three. Mm-hmm. And uh, next year, he always said that our the year before was the best team that we played on, but we didn't go. But he said that team was a very good one, too. Yeah. I'm guessing you practiced and played at Rec Hall. What kind of coach was Elmer Gross? Elmer was fantastic. Uh, and John Egley was fantastic. They didn't have the funds, they didn't have the scholarships to compete against. They competed very well, but they didn't have the money. I remember Jack Sherry being interviewed by a Philadelphia paper years later, talking about his experience at Penn State. And he said, Football was great. He said, we had everything in football. We had nothing in basketball. He said, Marie Stokes was recruited, and I remember that. Mm-hmm. And Elmer didn't have a scholarship to give to Marie Stokes. They said, we don't have the money. And, you know, the time that we played and had the good teams, we had two very good football players on football scholarships playing basketball. I think me and Ronnie Weidenheimer at that time were the only two basketball scholarships. So we really didn't have, and we go down and play Kentucky, Adolph Rupp in the NCAAs, Adolph probably had 15 full rides, and St. John's probably had 15 rides, and Everett Case from North Carolina State, they all had maximum scholarships. We had two. How were your teams then able to, in 1952, able to make the Sweet 16? You felt like you had a really good team the next year, and you said you just missed out on the tournament. And then after you graduate in 54, they go all the way to the, to the Final Four, the only time in Penn State history. How were they able to compete with those teams that had the full scholarships then? Well, I think we had good coaches. I think they prepared us well. We, you know, we, we didn't fear anybody. We, we played a good sliding zone, which, a lot of, which was better than most people. We had a good zone press. We did a lot of things that other people didn't do. I think most of the people had superior talent. I know we played Kentucky that year. I thought, wow. I mean, here's some tall timber, some pretty good ball players. And I think a lot of those schools, too, put a lot more emphasis on basketball year-round. Mm-hmm. Once we finished the season, that was it. I mean, there was nothing until the next season started. It was just completely different. We weren't allowed in the weight rooms because Elmer and John thought that you lost your touch if you got muscle bound. And uh, it was just a completely different thing. And I think we were better because we had good coaching. And, our, our, of course, if you look at our schedule, I mean, we played teams like Alfred. And we didn't play the competition. They play in the SEC and the ACC and some of those places. Of course, I think Rick Hall at that time seated about 5,000. And, yes. They were packed. I used to give faculty members tickets. You know, I don't think some of the faculty in those days could get into the games. <laughs> that was completely different. And it was a beautiful arena at the time. And I think even Park Hill liked it. I love Rec Hall. I think it's one of the great venues still, whether it's going to a volleyball match, a wrestling match there, or when they had the return to rec basketball games. Um, I mean, And when you look at it, too, it's built the same as Cameron Indoor. It's built yep. uh, same architect as the Palestra in Philadelphia. So there's a lot of history yep. in that building. Yeah, beautiful building. Uh, and of course, at that time, it was interesting because we practiced basketball. Gene Whetstone had the gymnast in the back end of the gym. 
Uh, it was open to the running track up above, and Joe Paterno's office, along with Rip Engel, was up on top of the building. And, uh, I remember there was a lot of activity going on. It wasn't a private basketball practice, that's for sure. Wrestling was, they were down below, so it was wide open. You know, it's not like today where you're in a big arena and nobody is allowed to see the basketball team practice. Completely different. Well, Herm, one of the reasons I wanted to do this interview at this time is just a, a couple of weeks ago on October 21st, Jesse Arnell, uh, a teammate of yours, passed away. And he had quite the legacy at Penn State, obviously, with his accomplishments on the basketball court, on the football field, and, and then what he meant giving back to the university for many years with the Board of Trustees. What kind of person was Jesse, and was he someone that you still kept in touch with uh, until his passing? I was shocked that Jesse passed away. Jesse was the picture of health. The last time I talked to Jesse, he was still climbing mountains along with Buddy Rowell, doing all kinds of things. So the death of Jesse really shocked me. Jesse was a class act. He, uh, he was a gentle giant. Jesse had a personality that everybody just loved Jeff. And, of course, you can see what went on with his life after Penn State. Mm-hmm. He just accomplished so, so much. I did see him a number of times. He and Buddy Rowell hosted a brunch at the Nittany Line Inn before a lot of the homecoming games, and we were always invited, and Jack Sherry and some of the other uh, football players, basketball players, were always invited, wives, and we really enjoyed going to that and talked to Jess a lot. Now, when I was at Penn State, I, the year I was captain, Elmer used to have me room with different people uh, on, a, on a road trips, and one of the trips we played the Army and Rhode Island State in downtown New York City. And uh, Mel Allen, one of the old, longtime, well-known sportscasters, came up to interview Jeff. And it was interesting sitting there listening to him interviewing Jeff about Jeff's life and New Rochelle and all the things that Jeff did. And the other thing was interesting, I got to talk to Jess a lot about his history when he was a youngster. And his father was actually a coal miner in West Virginia early on. And, of course, my father was a coal miner for the RMP, became the chief electrician. Mm-hmm. So I got to do got to talk to Jess a lot. Every trip, Jess took a book. He was a scholar. He, uh, he knew what he wanted to do, and he, he did it. He he rose to the top of his profession. But a class act, somebody I was always proud to be a friend of and talked about him all the time as a great, great basketball teammate and a friend. You briefly touched on the background of Jesse. He was from New Rochelle, New York, and he was actually recruited to Penn State to play football. He wanted to play both sports, and the recruiter at that time was a young assistant coach from Brooklyn, New York. And, of course, that's Joe Paterno. Did you ever talk about his path and how he ended up at Penn State? Yes. Actually, I think the thing was documented where what he did is Joe took him to his mother's house in Brooklyn and had a dinner. And that's when he committed. I think he said he loved Joe's mother more than he did Joe, so he committed to Penn State. (laughs) So that's how he got to Penn State. But, you know, think about Yes. He was very, very close to Elmer Grove, mm-hmm. more so than Joe. He loved football, but I think he liked basketball better than football. When he came back to Penn State, never stayed at Penn State, 
he always stayed with Elmer. And he and Elmer were very close. And Elmer always told me that. He said, he said I just like basketball better than football. Well, I think that was reflected after he left Penn State as well because he had a chance to play either in the NBA or the NFL, and he ended up choosing the NBA and the, the Fort Wayne Pistons at the time and also the, the Harlem Globetrotters and surpassing any type of football future because he was a he was an honorable mention All-American in football as well as the All-American that he was in basketball. Yep, right. He was great in both. I, I thought maybe the basketball was a little mistake, and the reason is just was not an outside shooter. Everything he got was inside. Hook shot, jump shot, rebound and put it back up. He was really great at that. But in the pros, you know, he's going up against the seven-footers, which we hardly ever saw at Penn State. And I think, I don't, what, he only played one year for the Pistons, right? Mm -hmm. If I recall. Yep. I think maybe 39 games. Actually, just played in the, uh, he played for a while for Hazleton, I think, in the Eastern League, Pennsylvania, New York. And I played, the only time I ever played against uh, Jess Arnell was I played for the Williamsport Billies, one game against Jeff. And I, I think he did that as a weekend thing. You know, you got paid maybe 50 bucks a game. But I think maybe it was a mistake not to football instead of basketball. His scoring record at Penn State, though, was intact for more than 50 years, 56 years until Taylor Battle, who's now back as an assistant coach, and then Lamar Stevens this past year. Uh, surpassed him as well now the big difference Herm though is Lamar and Taylor had the benefit of the three-point shot I know you said Jesse was an inside scorer but for that record to stand for more than 50 years that speaks volumes about the type of player that he was he was a scoring machine he was unbelievable I mean, he got almost every rebound he was anytime a shot was taken up and missed Jess was there I mean if he got the rebound it was back up he was strong. I mean, he muscled his way in, and he tipped a lot of balls in, and he just was an amazing rebounder. He had a good hook shot. He had a great short-range jump shot. He, he, he was an offensive machine, for sure. And as you say, to hold up and, until Taylor Battle. Was it Taylor Battle that broke it? Yep. Yeah, right? And then he reminded Lamar Stevens reminded me of so much of Jess Arnell. The build, except Lamar could shoot from outside, and he had a long, wider range. But Lamar rebounded like Jess, and he had a nose for the ball like Jess. And they were very similar ball players. But, of course, Jess was an inside man only. But, yeah, he was a scoring machine. He could put the ball in the hoop. I'd be remiss if we don't talk about this as well, Herm. Penn State with Rip Angle, they had a notable track record of recruiting black student-athletes, whether it was Wally Triplett, uh, Lenny Moore a few years later, and, of course, Jess. What challenges did he and other African-American student-athletes encounter and face? We had, we really had some, and I talked to Jess about some of this stuff. He handled everything beautifully. Jess was like, I mean, it happened, we're going to handle it, we'll get better. Uh, we played West Virginia on one of our trips, and Elmer made reservations in Washington, PA, to eat. We stopped there, and they saw we had a, a couple blacks on our team and turned us away, would not eat us. And we ate somewhere between Washington, PA, and Blairsville. 
got a sandwich or something on the way back to State College. We played in the NCAA tournament. No, we played in the uh, Oklahoma City tournament in 1952. We took an overnight train from Altoona. We couldn't stay in a hotel because we had blacks, or we could have stayed in a hotel, but the blacks would have had to stay with a black family. We opted to stay in the dorm, and they had a house mother in the dorm to supervise us. Uh, so yeah, those are the kind of things that we encountered when Jess was there. I know it was it was not a good situation at that time. I mean, here these people were great students, great athletes, and it was like you were living down south. But it seemed different on campus because I know he was the student body president as well, and he won by about seventy five percent percent of the vote. So he's certainly an affable figure on campus. And then that track record ended up carrying over into his work as a lawyer and then his work with the Board of Trustees. I'm very happy that uh, Jesse ended up a legend at uh, Penn State. He was a great, great person. I don't think he felt the discrimination on campus. Although you're probably aware that he came back one time and refused the football award Mm -hmm. until they came back and hired more deans more black deans and more black faculty. Joe was upset about that because he thought it was the wrong venue to do that, but it probably was exactly the right venue to do it, you know, to get attention to it. To create change, you need to put people in uncomfortable situations, and I think that's what his goal was by doing it and using that platform for for such. Really, really, and I never criticized Joe because Joe was a legend too. He was one of my heroes. We bought both got on campus the same year, 1950. So I have a lot of respect for Joe, too. Herm, a couple of questions to wrap it up. After Penn State, what was the next step? I know you remained in athletics. What was the next step after Penn State? So from there, I got an Army commission. I actually was drafted by the Baltimore Bullets, got a contract. But the Korean War was on, and I was an infantry officer, and I went in, and fortunately, a month after I was in, the war ended. So I ended up in Fort Bliss, Texas, playing basketball for the base team with Gene Bartow. Uh, Leon Black became the head coach at University of Texas. Uh, D. Rowe became the head coach at the University of Connecticut. And then I became the head coach at IUP. So it was a very good Army team. Then after the Army, I came back and got my master's at Penn State. And actually, I coached a freshman basketball team, which was almost unheard of. But Elmer, but uh, John Egley asked me if I'd take over the group that didn't make the varsity team, and mm-hmm. I coached them. After that, I got a job at Montoursville High School, football assistant basketball coach. Left there after one year, went to Shannock Valley High School, which was a pretty good power class B in Western PA. Coached that team for three years. My father died unexpectedly, so I went back to Elders Ridge for three years, and then I was hired at IUP as the head basketball coach in 1963. Stayed there until, well, I was the head coach until 1970. The AD's job opened. You couldn't be both coach and AD, so I took the AD's job. Mm-hmm. Always thought I made a mistake doing that, but then I. I was the AD until 1982. Then I was going back to full-time teaching, and the deanship 
was open. They were advertising, and a president asked me to take over the dean of the Health College of Health Sciences. So I did that for a year. Uh, went back to actually did when I coached at IUP, I was a full time teacher. It's not a full time load. Distance baseball coach in the fall mm-hmm. and basketball coach. So a little different than it is today. Retired in 1993 and have had a very good life since. Go to Florida every every winter and <laughs> five months in Florida. Don't blame you. So I think I got you up to date, Brian. Herm, when's, uh, when's the next time you hope to get back to, to Happy Valley? Hopefully the basketball alumni game, if they have it this year. Yeah, I'm hopeful as well. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that's going to be possible. And I know you always love your trips back to Happy Valley. And next time you come, um, make sure we get in touch. I'd love to meet you in person. Thanks, Brian. Penn State is a great place. I owe my life to it. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with her. I thought it was educational, informative, and really a trip back in time. Interesting to hear so many different stories from Herm. Also want to say thanks to Paul Clifford, the CEO of the Penn State Alumni Association, Penn State historian, Lou Prado, and Frank Bodani from the York Daily Record. He had an incredible feature story on Jesse Arnell right after his passing. I know Lou Prado helped him out with that as well. So uh, those three sources really contributed a lot of information that I used uh, to come up with some questions here in the background for this podcast. So really appreciate the time from Herm Sledzik and also appreciate your time for tuning in. Thanks so much for joining us here on Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics. Let's Go State, the official podcast of Penn State Athletics.